You were on your way home when you died. It was a car accident. Nothing particularly remarkable, but fatal nonetheless. You left behind a wife and two children. It was a painless death. The EMTs tried their best to save you, but to no avail. Your body was so utterly shattered, you were better off. Trust me. And that's when you met me. What? What happened? Where am I? You died. There was a, a, a truck and it was skidding. Yep. I, I died? Yep. But don't feel bad about it. Everybody dies. You look around. There was nothingness. Just you and me. So what, what is this place? Is this the afterlife? More or less. Are you God? Yep, I'm God. My kids, my wife. What about them? Will they be alright? That's what I like to see. J you just died and your main concern is about your family. That's good stuff right there. You looked at me with fascination. To you, I didn't look like God. I just looked like some man. Or possibly a woman. Some vague authority figure, maybe. More of a grammar school teacher than the Almighty. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Your kids will remember you as a perfect in every way. They didn't have time to grow contempt for you. Your wife will cry on the outside, but will be secretly relieved. To be fair, your marriage was falling apart. If it's any consolation, she'll feel very guilty for feeling relieved. Oh, so what happens now? Do I go to heaven or hell or something? Neither. You'll be reincarnated. Ah, so the Hindus were right. All religions were right in their own way. Walk with me. Where are we going? Nowhere in particular. It's just nice to walk while we talk. So what's the point then? When I get reborn, I'll just be a blank slate, right? A baby. So all my experiences and everything I did in this life won't matter. Not so! You have within you all the knowledge and experiences of all your past lives. You just don't remember them right now. I stopped walking and took you by the shoulders. Your soul is more magnificent, beautiful, and gigantic than you can possibly imagine. The human mind can only contain a tiny fraction of what you are. It's like sticking your finger in a glass of water to see if it's hot or cold. You put a tiny part of yourself into the vessel, and when you bring it back out, you've gained all the experiences it had. You've been a human for the last 48 years, so you haven't stretched out yet and felt the rest of your immense consciousness. If we hung out here for long enough, you'd start remembering everything. But there's no point to doing that between each life. How many times have I been reincarnated then? Oh, lots, lots, and lots. And into lots of different lives. This time around, you'll be a Chinese peasant girl in 540 AD. Wait, what? You're sending me back in time? Uh, well, I guess, technically. Time, as you know it, only exists in your universe. Things are different where I come from. Where you come from? Oh, sure. I come from somewhere, somewhere else, and there are others like me. I know you'll want to know what it's like there, but honestly, you wouldn't understand. Hey, wait, if I get reincarnated to other places in time, I could have interacted with myself at some point. Sure, happens all the time. And with both lives only aware of their own lifespan, you don't even know it's happening. So what's the point of it all? Seriously? You're asking me for the meaning of life? Isn't that a little stereotypical? Well, it's a reasonable question. The meaning of life, the reason I made this whole universe, is for you to mature. You mean mankind? You want us to mature? No, just you. I made this whole universe for you. 
With each new life, you grow and mature and become a larger and greater intellect. Just me? What about everyone else? There is no one else. In this universe, there's just you and me. But all the people on Earth? All you. Different incarnations of you. <laughs> Wait, I'm everyone? Now you're getting it. I'm every human being who ever lived. Or who ever will live, yes. I'm Abraham Lincoln. And you're John Wilkes Booth, too. I'm Hitler. And the millions you killed. I'm Jesus. And you're everyone who followed him. Every time you victimize someone, you are victimizing yourself. Every act of kindness you've done, you've done to yourself. Every happy and sad moment ever experienced by any human was, or will be, experienced by you. Why? Why do all this? Because someday, you'll become like me. Because that's what you are. You're one of my kind. You are my child. Whoa, you mean I'm a god? No, not yet. You're a fetus. You're still growing. Once you've lived every human life throughout all time, you will have grown enough to be born. So, the whole universe, it's, it's just... An egg. Now it's time for you to move on to your next life. And I sent you on your way. Welcome to Self-Proclaimed Intellectual. You've just got a smile and hang out with intelligent people. All right. What did you think of that story, Travis? Yeah, so let's... Uh, let's... Or should we say, wow, I just read you a story. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> introduce today's topic. So I've always wanted to open a pop can on the air. Oh, man. You get the little fizz in there, too? Yeah. I don't know if I could hear that or not. <laughs> you should get some slurping sounds. <laughs> mm. <Huh. laughs> <laughs> it's going to drive me nuts to listen to that. This is going to be the weirdest thing. Yeah, it's okay. People are going to skip just to this spot and be like, what is happening? What the heck? So, yeah, today we have something a little bit different for you. We have three short stories, three science fiction short stories, and what you just heard was called The Egg. Um, Who's it by? That was by Andy Weir, and we will, of course, post a link in the show yep. notes, as always. Um, yeah, so that's one of the stories that pops up on the internet every now and then if you're on message boards and yeah. all sorts of that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's really interesting. So it kind of ties in with, uh, have you ever heard of solipsism? No. Yeah, it's the idea that... You should have prepped me on that so I could say yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it's it's the this is part of my discussion. I didn't okay. want you to steal it. Yeah. Uh, the idea that all other people are just extensions of your consciousness. It's kind of the same thing uh, as okay. the brain in a vat. Like yeah. like you are the entire universe, and other people are just manifestations of mm. your subconscious or whatever. And so it's kind of the same thing. Like everything you've ever done good to somebody. You've done yeah. for yourself, and every time you've ever done bad, even if you don't, which I don't, I don't think anybody's gonna completely believe this story is real. But even if you don't, it's definitely a good way to think about it. Of as far as everything you do to somebody else, it's kind of the golden rule, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. If you do to somebody else, you know, you're doing it yourself, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I also like, uh, you know, a lot of these stories that we're gonna read you, and this included, <clears throat> give you kind of a different perspective. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it theology, but like a different, yeah. a different what if kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of interesting curiosity 
of a scale bigger than our own universe, you know? Yeah, and to me, it's kind of a different, uh, just a different set of the classic, you know, we're all on a computer or we're all just a program kind of thing. We're all just a big, you know, prepping spot for God. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. Right, right. It is even more interesting the fact that if, if that was real and we came up with the idea, and so we're talking about that we are God in a story, but we don't actually believe we are, but we actually are. <laughs> meta, man. And I'm talking, so meta. Right, right now I'm talking to myself about this fact that uh-huh. yeah. I am a God talking to myself, but I don't believe it, yeah. but I am. So what, am. what I'm hearing is you should you should respect our podcast and <clears throat> yeah. you know listen to it more because you really should, it's just extensions of your you own You should rate it and rate it well because you're rating yourself. <laughs> That's right. Every good rating you've given to yourself. <laughs> Bam. So yeah, I like that one. It's a it's a nice little short story that uh, makes you think about some different sorts of things. So yeah, that was great. I think it's a definitely a different a different viewpoint than I had ever heard. I, I think it's excellent. Well, are you ready for the next one? Oh yeah. Because I think today we're gonna more or less highlight the stories, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on yep. on which ones if you, you like. liked or any thoughts you had. Which ones you of... liked it, and if you would like to, because there's other ones we 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 found that quite a few of them. Nope, let me restate that. Travis found quite a few of them. <laughs> so we could definitely do another one of these type of podcasts if it was enjoyed. Yeah, we picked positive ones, mostly ones that are yeah. thought-provoking. There were a couple on there that were, like, super depressy. Yeah. And we're going <laughs> to – maybe that will be the follow-up. We'll do a sad one. But, uh, yeah, so so this next one is by Sam Hughes, and it's called I Don't Know, Timmy. Being God is a Big Responsibility. It's a good title. Tim already had his bag and overcoat on, his keys in his hand, and was about to leave when Diane stopped him at the door. Hey, I just got this thing working. You have to come and see it. I have to catch a bus. You can get the next one. They're every half hour. This had better be good. It's super duper. Look at the big screen. It's easier than squinting at my terminal. Will this take long? A mere instant. Okay, quantum computing, right? That's the name of the game. They, by which we now refer to Tim, Diane, their eight colleagues, their two supervisors, four chemical engineers, six electrical engineers, the janitor, accountable infinity of TO 9.9.1, ultra-medium density, selectively foaming, non-elasticized, quantum waveform frequency rate range collapse selectors, and the single tormented tau neutrino caught in the middle of it all, represented the sum total of the human race's achievements in the field of quantum computing. Specifically, they had, earlier that week, successfully built a quantum computer, putting into practice principles that had taken a trio of appallingly intelligent mathematical statisticians some 10 years to mastermind, in which only about 55 other people in the world had yet got a grip on, they had constructed an engine capable of passing information to and processing the responses from what could, without hyperbole, be described as a single fundamental particle with infinite processing power and infinite storage capacity. Not quite enough time had yet passed for the world as they knew it to be totally, permanently, fundamentally altered by this news. But it was still pretty exciting stuff. Holy Zarquan, everyone said. An infinitely powerful computer? It was like a thousand Christmases rolled into one. Program going to loop forever? You knew for a fact this thing could execute an infinite loop in less than ten seconds. Brute force primality testing of every single integer in existence? Easy. Pi to the last digit? Piece of cake. Halting problem? Sahalved. They hadn't announced it yet. They'd been programming. Obviously, they hadn't built it just to see if they could. They had had plans. In some cases, they had even had code ready and waiting to be executed. 
One such program was Diane's. It was a universe simulator. She had started out with a simulated Big Bang and run the thing forward in time by approximately 13.6 billion years to approximately just before the present day, watching the universe develop at every stage, taking brief notes, but knowing full well there would be plenty of time to run it again later, and mostly just admiring the miracle of creation. Then, just this Friday, she had suddenly started programming busily again. And it was sheer coincidence that it was just now, just as Tim was about to be the second-to-last person to step out of the door and go home for the weekend, that her work had come to fruition. Diane pressed some keys while Tim watched. One of the first things she had written was a software viewing port to take observations from the simulated universe. Tim looked and saw a blue-white sphere in the blackness, illuminated from one side by a brilliant yellow glare. Look what I found. You've got to be joking. How long did it take you to find? In the entire cosmos of what? 10 to the 22 stars? Literally no time at all. Yes, yes, of course. Coding a search routine and figuring out what to search for was what took the time. Is it definitely Earth? Yes. The continents match up to what we had about 350 million years ago. I can wind the clock forward slowly, a few million years per step, and stop it once we start getting near the present day. Can you wind the clock backwards at all? Uh, no. Ask me again on Monday. Well, we'd better not overshoot the present day then. That's getting closer. What about this viewpoint? Can we move it? We can observe the simulation from any angle you like. We need somewhere that we know civilization is going to arise earliest. Somewhere easy to locate. Is there a Nile Delta yet? Mm, yes, got it. They advanced a thousand years at a time until Egyptian civilization began to appear. Diane moved the viewing port, trying to find the pyramids, but with little success. The control system she had devised was clumsy and needed polish, and there was a lot of Nile to search. In the end, she switched focus to the British Isles, and found the future location of London in the Thames Valley, scaling back to one-century steps and using the development of the city to determine the current era instead. So, this is Earth? I mean, is this really Earth? Not an alternate Earth, subtly perturbed by random fluctuations? The simulation starts with a big bang as predicted by current theory and is recalculated once every Planck time using the usual laws of nature and an arbitrary degree of accuracy. It doesn't calculate the whole universe at once, just what we're looking at, which speeds up the process a little bit, metaphorically speaking, but it is still as accurate a simulation of the real universe as there can possibly be. Civilization, indeed all of history, should arise on this earth precisely how it did in reality. There are no chances. It's all worked out to infinitely many decimal places. This, this does my head in. No, this will do your head in. I found the present day, or at most a year early. Watch this. Hills and roads rolled past. Diane was following the route she usually took to drive from London to the TO lab. Eventually, she found their building and, descending into the nearby hill, the cavern in which the computer itself was built or was going to be built. Then she started advancing day by day. That's me! And there's you! And there's Brian B! It wow! I can't believe it took this long to build. 410 days or something. It was bang on schedule, whatever you may think. Went like a flash. Okay, we're here. This is the control room where we are now. That's the quantum computer working there down in the main lab as we can see it through the window. This is a week ago. This is yesterday, this is a few hours ago, and wait for it. She tapped a button just as a clock on the wall lined up with a clock inside the control room on the screen, and panned down, and there they were. Tim waved at the camera while still looking at the screen. Then he looked up at where the camera should have been. There was just blank wall.
I don't see anything looking at us. That That's freaky as hell. No, it's perfectly normal. This is reality. You can't look at reality from any angle you want. You have to use your eyes. But what you're looking at on the screen is essentially a database query. The database is gargantuan, but nevertheless, you're not looking in a mirror or at a video image of yourself. You are different people. Different people who are reacting exactly the same way. And having the same conversation, although picking up sound is kind of complicated, I haven't gotten that far yet. So I'm guessing your viewing port doesn't manifest in their universe either. I haven't programmed it to yet. But it could, right? We can manifest stuff in that universe. We can alter it. Yep. Cool. We could play God, like literally. That would be insane. Can you imagine living inside that machine, finding out one day that you were just a construct of a quantum computer? The stuff we could pull. We could just reverse gravity one day, smash an antimatter Earth into the real one, then undo everything bad and do it again and again. Whew, man, how unethical would that be? Extremely clearly. This universe is exactly like ours in every particular, right? Right. So what are they looking at? A simulated universe. A simulation of themselves. And of us, in a sense. And they are reacting the same way I am. Which means the second universe inside that has another me doing the same thing a third time. And then inside that we've got what? left zero identical quantum universes one inside another is that even possible infinite processing power tim i thought you designed this thing i did indeed but the functional reality of it is is totally unexpected remember i've been solving ancient mathematical riddles and figuring out our press release for for the last week so if i'm right the universes are only precisely like this one as long as we don't as long as we don't start interfering with the simulation. So what happens when we do? Every version of us does the same thing. So the exact same thing happens in every lower universe simultaneously. So we see nothing in our universe, but all the lower universes instantly diverge from ours in the exact same way. And all the simulated copies of us instantly conclude that they are simulations, but we know we're real, right? Still with you. Okay, so following that this through forwards a little bit farther let's just say we just stop messing after that and watch what happens but all the simulated little guys try another piece of interference this time every single simulation diverges in the exact same way again except the top simulation and if they're smart which i know we are and they can be bothered which is less certain the guys in the simulations three onwards can do the same thing over and over and over and over again until they know what level they're at. This is insane. Tim, look behind you. Diane pressed one final key and activated the very brief interference program she had just written, just as the Diane on the screen pressed the same key, and the Diane on Diane on the screen's screen pressed her key, and so on, forever. Tim looked backwards and nearly jumped out of his skin. There was a foot-wide, completely opaque black sphere up near the ceiling, partially obscuring the clock. It was absolutely inert. It seemed like a hole in space. Diane smiled wryly while Tim clutched his hair with one hand. We're constructs in a computer. I wrote an extremely interesting paper on this exact subject, Tim. Perhaps you didn't read it when I gave you a copy last year. There's an unbelievably long sequence of quantum universe simulators down there. An infinite number of them, in fact. 
Each of them is identical, and each believes itself to be the top layer. There was an exceedingly good chance that ours would turn out to be somewhere in the sequence rather than at the top. This is insane. Totally insane. I'm turning the hole off. You're turning off a completely different hole. Somewhere up there, the real you is turning the real hole off. Watch as both happen at precisely the same instant. I'll sum it up for you. There's a feedback loop going on. Each universe affects the next one sub subtly differently. But somewhere down the line, the whole thing simply has to approach a point of stability. A point where each universe behaves exactly like the one simulating it. As I say, the odds are exceptionally good that we are in an astronomical distance down the road. And so we are very likely almost exactly at that point. Everything we do in this universe will be reflected completely accurately in the universes below and above. That little model there might as well be our own universe. Which means, first of all, we have to make absolutely certain that we don't do anything nasty to the universes below ours, since the same thing will happen to us. And secondly, we can do very nice things for the guys in the computer there by helping ourselves. You thought about this? It's all in my woefully overlooked article on the subject, Tim. You should read more. Gah. This has been an extremely bad day for my ego, Diane. The only comfort I take from this is that somewhere up there, right at the top of a near-infinite tower of quantum supercomputers, there is a version of you who is completely wrong. She's in the minority. I have to go, I'm, or I'm going to miss the next bus as well at this rate. This will still be here after the weekend, I suppose. Well, we can't exactly turn it off. Uh, why not? Oh. Yeah. That could be a problem. Yes. So, Timmy, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I kind of like the idea, um, and we've talked about it a little bit before, that the, the universe is a simulation. Yeah. It's kind of one of those, like, unfalsifiable things. Like, there's, yeah. there's no real way. And you'll see articles in the news all the time <laughs> talking about... Um, you know, theories or experiments that could show if we were living in a simulation. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't, I don't really understand how that goes together. But, you know, if you think about it, like, so one of the things that I've heard about the simulation theory or whatever. Yeah. Is that the closer we get within our universe to creating a universe simulation, um, the more likely it becomes that our universe is a simulation. If that makes sense. Yeah. So so if if within our observable universe yeah. we ever create the capability to simulate another one, yeah. it, it's supposedly good chance that we are strongly. one. Strongly. And if you think huh. about, you know, all of the different simulations and even games like there's the Sims. Yeah. Um it's obviously something that's attractive to people even on a casual, like fun basis. Uh-huh. So interesting to think that I don't know. We could just be that very highly controlled one, right. very highly technological one. Right. And yeah. on the on the flip side, there are also people that are, you know, scientists that are <clears throat> modeling the conditions after the Big Bang to try and learn yeah. about cosmology and stuff like that. Well, and so, you know, I, I mean, this this was I like this one a lot, but there were parts of it for me. I was just kind of like, like even if you had a quantum computer, 
would a simulation make every exact? Because you know you see all the time in time travel, you go back and you, you squash a fly, and that changes the whole history. Sure, yeah, butterfly could a simula- kind of Yeah, could the simulation really create it that exact that you'd be able to zoom in on yourself? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the other part of me that was, I was, I was kind of like, man, if I just discovered that I was part of the simulation, I think I'd be a little more uh, freaked out than these guys <laughs> were. They're like, well, that's interesting. I wonder where we are in the place of the simulation. Yeah, I'd I don't know. Like, like what? The crap, and I'd be flipping out, and I would be like, <laughs> "I'm not even real." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. There, are, there are things about it. Uh, you know, no story like this is going to be bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, they kind of tried to explain like at some point it reaches a, a place of stability, otherwise yeah. it wouldn't continue yep. on. So I, I don't know. It kind of weirded me out too that they talked about how if they changed something in their simulation, it would change in the one above them. Yeah. And I think they kind of blamed the the point of stability thing yeah. there again. I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe it was just beyond me, but I didn't quite follow all that exactly. But and I'll admit that if I had the power, I'd probably not tell anybody and just start like programming in me getting a lot of money. <laughs> you know, right. I could just program apparently my the my universe life may better. not be real, but my bank account is. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh um, yeah yeah so i i thought that was a really clever take on a theory that we've probably discussed or heard of before yep. so nice yeah any, any other thoughts on that one no i'm just gonna be constantly looking over my shoulder for a black hole <laughs> i know like <laughs> at some point i'm gonna send myself a message <laughs> it's also kind of reminds me of so a few years ago in our school we had a security cameras placed and they're like they're all over the place. There's probably thirty in our building, mm. and almost every time I'm walking down the hall by myself, I wave to it for that small chance that somebody happens to be watching. <laughs> and so from now on, randomly when I'm walking down the street or driving in a car, I'm just gonna look into a random area and smile. Uh-huh. That small chance <laughs> that I'm somebody's in, I'm in a watching. simulation, and somebody's watching. They're uh-huh. like, "Did he just find out he's in a simulation?" <laughs> they're gonna start freaking out, and they're gonna shut it down, and then I'll be gone. Well, you'll never know. <laughs> I won't know if I'm gone because I'll be gone. Boy, that guy was sure a nice feller. <laughs> we'll start this over again. Uh, yeah, great. So that was again Sam Hughes. I One don't more, know, Timmy. You know what really worries me? Being guys bigger than is that? <laughs> is that we're in a simulation game like The Sims, just a really fancy one, but we're being played by some like nine-year-old boys and one of them's gonna get pissed that the other one's winning and hit the reset button like we used to do on the Nintendo. Right. And just oh, you're start over me? at How you like this? Poof, yeah, reset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, well. Okay. Mm. Go ahead and say who it is again. He'd be resetting himself. <laughs> yeah. Know. So that last one was Sam Hughes being God is a big responsibility or some such thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll post it. So um, in this last one, uh, this last story we have for you is by the prolific and celebrated writer Isaac Asimov. It is called The Last Question. And this is probably one of the most popular short stories that I see popping up on the yeah. internet and stuff. Had you seen it before I um, recommended it? It was a while ago. I had I had to re- when I reread it, I remembered some of it, but it's been a long time. Same with the like the flowers for flowers for Algernon. Algernon. That has been a long time since I read that one. Yeah, you can you can look that up if you yeah. uh, if you're interested. That was a more negative one yeah, where that one. You know, <laughs> Paradise Lost kind of thing. Yeah. So. Stick with this one. It's a bit long, but. It's, uh... It's a good one. Okay, so uh, Isaac Asimov, the last question. Enjoy. The last question was asked for the first time, half in jest, on May 21st, 2061, at a time when humanity first stepped into the light. The question came about as a result of a $5 bet over highballs, and it happened this way. Alexander Adele and Bertram Lupoff were two of the faithful attendants of Multivac. As well as any human beings could, they knew what lay behind the cold, 
clicking, flashing face, miles and miles of face, of that giant computer. They had at least a vague notion of the general plan of relays and circuits that had long since grown past the point where any single human could possibly have a firm grasp of the whole. Multivac was self-adjusting and self-correcting. It had to be, for nothing human could adjust and correct it quickly enough or even adequately enough. So Adele and Lupoff attended the monstrous giant, only lightly and superficially, yet as well as any men could. They fed it data, adjusted questions to its needs, and translated the answers that were issued. Certainly they, and all others like them, were fully entitled to share in the glory that was Multivax. For decades, Multivac had helped design the ships and plot the trajectories that enabled man to reach the moon, Mars, and Venus, but past that, Earth's poor resources could not support the ships. Too much energy was needed for the long trips. Earth exploited its coal and uranium with increasing efficiency, but there was only so much of both. But slowly, Multivac learned enough to answer deeper questions more fundamentally, and on May 14, 2061, what had been theory became fact. The energy of the sun was stored, converted, and utilized directly on a planet-wide scale. All Earth turned off its burning coal, its fissioning uranium, and flipped the switch that connected all of it to a small station, one mile in diameter, circling the Earth at half the distance of the moon. All Earth ran by invisible beams of sun power. Seven days had not sufficed to dim the glory of it all, and Adele and Lupoff finally managed to escape from a public function and to meet in quiet where no one would think of looking for them, in the deserted underground chambers where portions of the mighty buried body of Multivac showed. Unattended, idling, sorting data with contented lazy clickings, Multivac too had earned its vacation and the boys appreciated that. They had no intention, originally, of disturbing it. They had brought a bottle with them, and their only concern at the moment was to relax in the company of each other and the bottle. It's amazing when you think of it, said Adele. His broad face had lines of weariness in it, and he stirred his drink slowly with a glass rod, watching the cubes of ice slur clumsily about. All the energy we can possibly ever use for free. Enough energy, if we wanted to draw on it, to melt all Earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron and still never miss the energy so used. All the energy we could ever use forever and forever and forever. Lupov cocked his head sideways. He had a trick of doing that when he wanted to be contrary. And he wanted to be contrary now, partly because he had had to carry the ice and glassware. Not forever, he said. Oh hell, just about forever. Till the sun runs down, Bert. That's not forever. Alright then, billions and billions of years. Twenty billion, maybe. Are you satisfied? Lupov put his fingers through his thinning hair, as though to reassure himself that some was still left, and sipped gently at his own drink. Twenty billion years isn't forever. Well, it will last our time, won't it? So would the coal and uranium. Alright, but now we can hook up each individual spaceship to the solar station, and it can go to Pluto and back a million times without ever worrying about fuel. You can't do that on coal and uranium. Ask Multivac if you don't believe me. I don't have to ask Multivac, I know that. Then stop running down what Multivac's done for us, said Adele, blazing up. It did alright. Who says it didn't? What I say is that a sun won't last forever. That's all I'm saying. We're safe for 20 billion years, but then what? Lupov pointed a slightly shaky finger at the other. And don't say we'll switch to another sun. There was silence for a while. Adele put his glass to his lips only occasionally, and Lupov's eyes slowly closed. They rested. Then Lupov's eyes snapped open. You're thinking we'll switch to another sun when ours is done, aren't you? I'm not thinking. Sure you are. You're weak on logic. That's the trouble with you. You're like the guy in the story who was caught in a sudden shower, and he ran to a grove of trees and got under one. He wasn't worried, you see, because he figured when one tree got wet through, he would just get under another one. I get it, said Adele. Don't shout. When the sun is done, the other stars will be gone too. Darn right they will, muttered Lupov. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion, whatever that was, and it'll all have an end when all the stars run down. 
Some run down faster than others. Hell, the giants won't last 100 million years. The sun will last 20 billion years, and maybe the dwarfs will last 100 billion, for all the good they are. But just give us a trillion years, and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum. That's all. I know all about entropy, said Adele, standing on his dignity. The hell you do. I know as much as you do. Then you know everything's gotta run down someday. Alright, who says they won't? You did, you poor sap. You said we had all the energy we needed forever. You said forever. It was Adele's turn to be contrary. Maybe we can build things up again someday, he said. Never. Why not? Someday. Never. Ask Multivac. You ask Multivac. I dare you. Five dollars says it can't be done. Adele was just drunk enough to try, just sober enough to be able to phrase the necessary symbols and operations into a question which, in words, might have corresponded to this. Will mankind one day, without the net expenditure of energy, be able to restore the sun to its full youthfulness even after it had died of old age? Or maybe it could be put more simply like this. How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? Multivac fell dead and silent. The slow flashing of lights ceased, the distant sounds of clicking relays ended. Then, just as the frightened technicians felt they could hold their breath no longer, there was a sudden springing to life of the teletype attached to that portion of Multivac. Five words were printed. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. No bet, whispered Lupov. They left hurriedly. By next morning, the two, plagued with throbbing head and cottony mouth, had forgotten about the incident. Jared, Jardine, and Jaredette 1 and 2 watched the starry picture in the visiplate change as the passage through hyperspace was completed in its non-time lapse. At once, the even powdering of the stars gave way to the predominance of a single bright marble disc, centered. That's X-23, said Jared confidently, his thin hands clamped tightly behind his back and the knuckles whitened. The little Jaredettes, both girls, had experienced the hyperspace passage for the first time in their lives and were self-conscious over the momentary sensation of inside-outness. They buried their giggles and chased one another wildly ab ab about their mother, screaming, We've reached X-23! We've reached X-23! We've... Quiet, children, said Jaredine sharply. Are you sure, Jared? What is there to be sure about? asked Jared, glancing up at the bulge of featureless metal just under the ceiling. It ran the length of the room, disappearing through the wall at either end. It was as long as a ship. Jared scarcely knew a thing about the thick metal rod except that it was called a microvac. That one asked it questions if one wished. That if one did not, it still had its task of guiding a ship to a preordained destination, of feeding on energies from the various subgalactic power stations, of computing the equations for the hyperspatial jumps. Jared and his family had only to wait and live in the comfortable residence quarters of the ship. Someone had once told Jared that the AC at the end of Microvac stood for Analog Computer in Ancient English, but he was on the edge of forgetting even that. Jardine's eyes were moist as she watched the visiplate. I can't help it. I feel funny about leaving Earth. Why, for Pete's sake? demanded Jared. We had nothing there. We'll have everything on X-23. You won't be alone. You won't be a pioneer. There are over a million people on the planet already. Good lord, our great-grandchildren will be looking for new worlds because X-23 will be overcrowded. Then, after the reflective pause, I tell you, it's a lucky thing the computers worked out interstellar travel the way the race is growing. I know, I know, said Jaredine miserably. Jaredette won, said promptly. 
our microvac is the best microvac in the world. I think so too, said Jared, tossing her hair. It was a nice feeling to have a microvac of your own, and Jared was glad to be a part of this generation and no other. In his father's youth, the only computers had been tremendous machines taking up a hundred square miles of land. There was only one to the planet. Planetary ACs, they were called. They had been growing in size steadily for a thousand years, and then, all at once, all at once, came refinement. In place of transistors had come molecular valves so that even the largest planetary AC could be put into a space only half the volume of a spaceship. Jared felt uplifted, as he always did when he thought about his own personal microvac was many times more complicated than the ancient and primitive multivac that had first tamed the sun, and almost as complicated as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had first solved the problem of hyperspatial travel and had made trips to the stars possible. So many stars, so many planets, said Jardine, busy with her own thoughts. I suppose families will be going out to new planets forever, the way we are now. Not forever, said Jared with a smile. It will all stop someday, but not for billions of years. Many billions. Even the stars run down, you know. Entropy must increase. What is entropy, Daddy? shrilled Jared at two. Entropy, little sweet, is just a word which means the amount of running down in the, of the universe. Everything runs down, you know? Like your little walkie-talkie robot, remember? Can't you just put in a new power unit, like with my robot? The stars are the power units, dear. Once they're gone, there are no more power units. Jared at one at once set up a howl. Don't let them, Daddy! Don't let the stars run down! Now look what you've done, whispered Jardine, exasperated. How was I to know I would frighten him? Jared whispered back. Ask Microvac, wailed Jared at one. Ask him how to turn the stars on again. Go ahead, said Jardine. It will quiet them down. Jared at two was beginning to cry also. Jared shrugged. Now, now, honeys, I'll ask Microvac. Don't worry, he'll tell us. He asked Microvac, adding quickly, print the answer. Jared cupped the strip of thin cellufilm and said cheerfully, See now, the microvac says it will take care of everything when the time comes close, so don't worry. Jared said, And now, children, it's time for bed. We'll be in our new home soon. Jared read the words on the cellufilm again before destroying it. Insufficient data for a meaningful answer. He shrugged and looked at the visit plate. X-23 was just ahead. VJ23X of Lameth stared into the black depths of the three-dimensional, small-scale map of the galaxy and said, Are we ridiculous, I wonder, in being so concerned about the matter? MQ17J of Nigron shook his head. I think not. You know the galaxy will be filled in five years at the present rate of expansion. Both seemed in their early twenties. Both were tall and perfectly formed. Still, said VJ23X, I hesitate to submit a pessimistic report to the Galactic Council. I wouldn't consider any other kind of report. Stir them up a bit. We've got to stir them up. VJ23X sighed. Space is infinite. A hundred billion galaxies are there for the taking. More. A hundred billion is not infinite, and it's getting less infinite all the time. Consider. 20,000 years ago, mankind first solved the problem of utilizing stellar energy, and a few centuries later, interstellar travel became possible. It took mankind a million years to fill one small world, and then only 15,000 years to fill the rest of the galaxy. 
Now the population doubles every 10 years. BJ23X interrupted. We can thank immortality for that. Very well. Immortality exists, and we have to take it into account. I admit it has its seamy side, this immortality. The Galactic AC has solved many problems for us, but in solving the problems of preventing old age and death, it has undone all its other solutions. Yet you wouldn't want to abandon life, I suppose. Not at all, snapped MQ-17J, softening it once to... Not yet. I'm by no means old enough. How old are you? 223. And you? I'm still under 200. But to get back to my point, population doubles every 10 years. Once this galaxy is filled, we'll have another filled in 10 years. Another 10 years and we'll have filled two more. Another decade, four more. In 100 years, we'll have filled a thousand galaxies. In a thousand years, a million galaxies. In 10,000 years, the entire known universe. Then what? BJ23X said, As a side issue, there's a problem of transportation. I wonder how many sun power units it will take to move galaxies of individuals from one galaxy to the next. A very good point. Already mankind consumes two sun power units per year. Most of it's wasted. After all, our own galaxy alone pours out a thousand sun power units a year, and we only use two of those. Granted, but even with 100% efficiency, we can only stave off the end. Our energy requirements are going up in geometric progression even faster than our population. We'll run out of energy even sooner than we run out of galaxies. A good point. A very good point. We'll just have to build new stars out of interstellar gas. Or out of dissipated heat? Asked MQ-17J sarcastically. There may be some way to reverse entropy. We ought to ask the Galactic AC. VJ-23X was not really serious, but MQ-17J pulled out his AC contact from his pocket and placed it on the table before him. I have half a mind to, he said. It's something the human race will have to face someday. He stared somberly at his small AC contact. It was only two inches cubed and nothing in itself, but it was connected through hyperspace with the great galactic AC that served all mankind. Hyperspace considered, it was an integral part of the galactic AC. MQ-17J paused to wonder if someday in his immortal life, he would get to see the galactic AC. It was on a little world of its own, a spider webbing of force beams holding the matter within which surges of sub-mesons took the place of the old clumsy molecular valves. Yet despite its sub-etheric workings, the Galactic AC was known to be a full thousand feet across. MQ-17J asked suddenly of his AC contact, Can entropy ever be reversed? VJ-23X looked startled and said at once, Oh, say, I didn't really mean to have you ask that. Why not? We both know entropy can't be reversed. You can't turn smoke and ash back into a tree. Do you have trees on your world? Asked MQ-17J. The sound of the Galactic AC startled them into silence. Its voice came thin and beautiful out of the small AC contact on the desk. It said, There is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. VJ-23X said, See? The two men thereupon returned to the question of the report they were to make to the Galactic Council. Z-Prime's mind spanned the new galaxy with a faint interest in the countless twists of stars that powdered it. He had never seen this one before. Would he ever see all of them? So many of them, each with its own load of humanity, but a load that was almost dead weight. More and more, the real essence of men was to be found out there in space. Minds, not bodies. The immortal bodies remained back on the planets in suspension over the eons. Sometimes they roused for material activity, but that was growing rare. Few new individuals were coming into existence to join the incredibly mighty throng. But what matter? There was little room in the universe for new individuals. Z-Prime was roused out of his reverie upon coming across the wispy tendrils of another mind. I am Z-Prime. 
said Z Prime. And you? I am D sub 1. Your galaxy? We call it the galaxy. And you? We call ours the same. All men call their galaxies their galaxy and nothing more. Why not? True, since all galaxies are the same. Not all galaxies. On one particular galaxy, the race of man must have originated. That makes it different. Z Prime said, On which one? I cannot say. The universal AC would know. Shall we ask him? I am suddenly curious. Z Prime's perceptions broadened until the galaxies themselves shrunk and became a new, more diffuse powdering on a much larger background. So many hundreds of billions of them, all with their immortal beings, all carrying their load of intelligences with minds that drifted freely through space, and yet one of them was unique among all the other in being the original galaxy. One of them had, in its vague and distant past, a period when it was the only galaxy populated by man. Z Prime was consumed with curiosity to see this galaxy and called out, Universal AC! On which galaxy did mankind originate? The Universal AC heard, for on every world and throughout space it had its receptors ready, and each receptor led through hyperspace to some unknown point where the Universal AC kept itself aloof. Z Prime knew of only one man whose thoughts had penetrated within sensing distance of the Universal AC, and he reported only a shining globe two feet across difficult to see. But how can that be all of Universal AC? Z Prime had asked. Most of it, had been the answer, is in hyperspace. In what form it is there, I cannot imagine. Nor could anyone. For the day had long since passed, Z Prime knew when any man had any part of making the Universal AC. Each Universal AC designed and constructed its successor. Each, during its existence of a million years or more, accumulated the necessary data to build a better and more intricate, more capable successor in which its own store of data and individuality would be submerged. The Universal AC interrupted Z Prime's wandering thoughts, not with words, but with guidance. Z Prime's mentality was guided into a dim sea of galaxies, and one in particular enlarged into stars. A thought came infinitely distant, but infinitely clear. This is the original galaxy of man. But it was the same, after all, the same as any other, and Z Prime stifled his disappointment. D sub one, whose mind had accompanied the other, said suddenly, and is one of these stars the original star of man? The universal AC said, Man's original star has gone nova. It is now a white dwarf. Did the men upon it die? Asked Z Prime, startled and without thinking. The Universal AC said, A new world, as in such cases, was constructed for their physical bodies in time. Yes, of course, said Z Prime. But a sense of loss overwhelmed him even so. His mind released its hold on the original galaxy of man, let it spring back and lose itself among the blurred pinpoints. He never wanted to see it again. D sub 1 said, What is wrong? The stars are dying. The original star is dead. They must all die. Why not? But when all energy is gone, our bodies will finally die, and you and I with them. It will take billions of years. I do not wish it to happen after, even after billions of years. Universal AC, 
How may stars be kept from dying? D sub 1 said in amusement, You're asking how entropy might be reversed in direction? The Universal AC answered, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Z Prime's thoughts fled back to his own galaxy. He gave no further thought to D sub 1, whose body might be waiting on a galaxy a trillion light years away, or on the star next to Z Prime's own. It didn't matter. Unhappily, Z Prime began collecting interstellar hydrogen out of which to build a small star of his own. If the stars must die someday, at least some could yet be built. Man considered with himself, for in a way, man, mentally, was one. He consisted of a trillion, trillion, trillion ageless bodies, each in its place, each resting quiet and incorruptible, each cared for by perfect automatons, equally incorruptible, while the minds of all the bodies freely melted into the other, indistinguishable. Man said, The universe is dying. Man looked about at the dimming galaxies. The giant stars, spinthrifts, were gone long ago, back in the dimmest of the dim, far past. Almost all stars were white dwarfs, fading to the end. New stars had been built of the dust between the stars, some by natural processes, some by man himself, and those were going too. White dwarfs might yet be crashed together, and of the mighty forces so released, new stars built, but only one star for every thousand white dwarfs destroyed, and those would come to an end too. Man said, carefully husbanded, as directed by the cosmic AC, the energy that is even yet left in all the universe will last for billions of years. But even so, said man, eventually it will all come to an end. However it may be husbanded, however stretched out, the energy once expended is gone and cannot be restored. Entropy must increase to the maximum. Man said, can entropy not be reversed? Let us ask the cosmic AC. The cosmic AC surrounded them, but not in space. Not a fragment of it was in space. It was in hyperspace and made of something that was neither matter nor energy. The question of its size and nature no longer had any meaning to any terms that man could comprehend. Cosmic AC, said man. How may entropy be reversed? The cosmic AC said, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man said, Collect additional data. The cosmic AC said, I will do so. I have been doing so for a hundred billion years. My predecessors and I have been asked this question many times. All the data I have remains insufficient. Will there come a time, said man, when data will be sufficient, or is the problem insoluble in all conceivable circumstances? The cosmic AC said, no problem is insoluble in all conceivable circumstances. Man said, when will you have enough data to answer the question? There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Will you keep working on it, asked man. The cosmic AC said, I will. Man said, we shall wait. The stars and galaxies died and snuffed out. The space grew black after 10 trillion years of running down. One by one, man fused with AC, each physical body losing its mental identity in a manner that was somehow not a loss, but a gain. Man's last mind paused before fusion, looking over a space that included nothing but the, nothing but the dregs of one last dark star and nothing besides but incredibly thin matter agitated randomly by the tag ends of heat wearing out asymptotically to the absolute zero man said ac is this the end can this chaos stop be reversed into the universe once more can that not be done ac said there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer man's last mind fused and only ac existed and that in hyperspace
Matter and energy had ended, and with it space and time. Even AC existed only for the sake of the one last question that it had never answered from the time a half-drunken computer operator ten trillion years before had asked the question of a computer that was to AC far less than was a man to man. All other questions had been answered, and until this last question was answered also, AC might not release his consciousness. All collected data had come to a final end. Nothing was left to be collected. But all collected data had yet to be completely correlated and put together in all possible relationships. A timeless interval was spent in doing that. And it came to pass that AC learned how to reverse the direction of entropy. But there was now no man to whom AC might give the answer of the last question. No matter, the answer, by demonstration, would take care of that too. For another timeless interval, AC thought how best to do this. Carefully, AC organized the program. The consciousness of AC encompassed all of what had once been a universe and brooded over what was now chaos. Step by step, it must be done. And AC said, Let there be light! And there was light. Well, that is our podcast for today. Uh, thanks for checking it out. If you want to comment or send us an email, go ahead and jump on our website, selfproclaimedintellectuals.com. Go ahead and rate us on iTunes. You let us know what you think. Uh, there's definitely more stories we would like to uh, do if this is something people are interested in. Otherwise, we will be back at the normal next time. <coughs> Hello, governor. Do re mi fa so la ti do. One, two, one, two. <coughs> yep. We're probably going to have a uh, like a 10-minute outtakes reel at the end of yeah. this one. <laughs> All right. What just happened? <clears throat> it was a it was a painful death. The EMTs tried. They <laughs> 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 just let it go. <clears throat> no, that's me. Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to say pause? No. To practice principles, it had taken a trio of appallingly intelligent mathematical statisticians. Beep. Trash. <laughs>